You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. It's a new day in 76ers basketball. New direction under new leadership. Legendary voice Mark Zumoff joins me to discuss all the strategic moves. We also talk about Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid taking their games to a whole new level. We touch on the legendary Allen Iverson, and Mark will shed some light on if Eric Snow really fell asleep during a broadcast. It is all coming up on the latest edition of Gun on One, the podcast. everybody welcome to this latest edition of gun on one the podcast it is brought to you by patterson square garden i'm Derek gunn it goes without saying that the philadelphia eagles are a disaster an absolute mess downright depressing uh for most people who follow the birds so we're going to get away from football altogether and talk about something that has generated some excitement in this region and that would be the philadelphia 76 there's a lot of changes within the front office the roster And so when my producers asked me, can you get somebody to talk basketball? It only took me about a fraction of of a second to think about the perfect guy to talk about the Philadelphia 76ers. He is a longtime broadcaster. More importantly, he is a longtime friend. Mark Zumov, how you doing, my brother? D-Gun, I am in terrific shape now that I'm speaking with you. (laughs) The vibe is always good. And if you want to go a little bit of Eagles, I'm okay. I'm depressed like everybody else. But listen, <laughs> I, I, I'm a fan till the day I die. And I have to say that the fact that I was in Minnesota when they won the Super Bowl, yeah. I, could, I, I could die a happy man. And I know for a lot of people that's a distant memory. Yep. But I still have to hang my hat on that because I am just so thankful that that occurred during my lifetime. And it makes it maybe a little bit easier to deal with the goings-on right now. But uh, nonetheless, it's still frustrating for everybody. I get it. Now now that you brought that up, prior to the Eagles actually winning the Super Bowl, I had a lot of friends and colleagues uh, who were diehard Philadelphia Eagles fans who would tell me, D-Gun, I don't care if they win five or six Super Bowls. I just want to see them win one Super Bowl in my lifetime. Were you of that thought process as well? 
I certainly am in retrospect. Yep. I mean, when you consider the fact that I'm 65 years old and I've been yep. an Eagles fan, what, since the mid-60s? So you do the math, that's, a, that's about a half century's worth of, you know, from Timmy Brown to, you know, the current guys now. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, Tom Woodishek. I mean, these are the guys that I remember from my childhood, Franklin Field, all of that. Sure. Um, at, you know, the frustrations of being a season ticket holder, of sitting out in the cold, of everything that anybody can relate to as it relates to the birds. Uh, you know, I've been there and done that. So I just know that when I was on the road with the Sixers, we were in Indianapolis that Saturday, and I think I slept about five minutes. I got up, I took two airplanes through Chicago. I got to Minneapolis. I got to the hotel, uh, took my game tickets, went with my son, and just to know that I experienced that, uh, it's still kind of surreal. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like I'm still looking in the end zone to make sure that Brady's pass was, <laughs> wasn't complete. Because you'd seen Brady. I mean, when Brady got the ball with two minutes to go, it's like, like I was saying, no, no, not again. Like I, like I, can't, like I wasn't able to deal with it after going through all of that. Yeah. And um, listen, while the Philly special was, was, was an awesome play, the, uh, the, the strip sack by Brandon Graham to me yeah. – I, I, you know, with two minutes to go and Brady with the ball it, it is just as huge as Philly special. Now, were you also able to brave the elements and make it to the parade celebration? You know, I did not. And I think <laughs> that knowing that you and my channel were going to be there covering yeah. it as they did, um, I kind of took the, the lazy way out. No! Which, yeah, I did, and I did not. I did not sit down in the cold for that. I kind of felt like, with all the trouble that I went to to get to the Super Bowl and everything that I'd been through, it was my option, <laughs> and I exercised that option. And, and you know, I watched the coverage and saw Jason Kelsey's speech, and it was it was it was awesome. I, I almost felt like I was there. I, I felt like I'd given enough in the way of clothing layers and stuffs you know, in my feet mm. to keep me warm and all of that, that um, there was one reasonably cold day I was going to sit out. Mm. Well, then I would have to say you're not a true fan if you didn't go out there with the <laughs> 5 million. If you were not out there with the 5 million people yeah. freezing and cheering, then you're only 90% of a fan. You're not a true Oh, bro, you're true. breaking my heart. <laughs> well, That's all right. I, I, we're, we're boys. We, we could talk like this. You're it's right. all good. You know, the funny thing is, you know, and, and it's true, what you said was it seems like a distant memory because it is. it has been one heartbreak after another for the Philadelphia Eagles since then. So because you're now depressing me, we're going to move <laughs> oh, on to sorry. something more positive, and that is the – 76ers, uh, the sun is shining brightly in this organization as we sit here right now. So let's start at the top. When you heard that they had hired Daryl Morey, what's the first thing that you were thinking? Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Because Daryl Morey, Daryl Morey's kind of like Larry Brown. So Larry Brown, of course, for the uninitiated, the real young among you, mm-hmm. was the Sixers coach when they last went to the finals in 2001. With Allen Iverson, it was sheer genius that he used to put that team together. But uh, I always remember, somebody once told me that Larry Brown uh, wanted to go to med school at some point in mm. his life. And I believe that if he had gone to med school, he would have been a tremendous doctor, a tremendous surgeon. 
I feel the same about him had he gone to law school or decided to do anything else in his life because I think he had the inherent brilliance going as far as to say that he was a genius, that he could have been great at whatever it is that he decided to do. So I put Daryl Morey in that class. In fact, I'm not the only one to do it. Uh, I guess you saw the report that there was an NFL team that apparently reached out to him and wanted him for for their front office. Yeah. Now, here's an NBA guy who an NFL team Mm -hmm. wanted to be in their front office. So it shows you that he has certain inherent skills that are transferable to the NFL and maybe who knows what else. So Mm. you're you're talking about a guy who um, looks at the world differently and different is always good when you talk about people like Steve Jobs and, 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 uh, and, all, all the rest, P- people mm-hmm. who are able to visualize something that other people can't and able to bring that vision into a reality. So they got themselves the best free agent out there among front office folks. Um, I think he's going to meld great with Elton Brand. I think um, the people that he surrounds himself with are, are, are top notch. And I think he's done the best that he can to this point in putting this roster together. He himself has said now some of the season has to play out, as Mm -hmm. is the case with with anybody else in any other season, to see how the parts begin to fit together. But right now we're all very excited for what it is that he's been able to do. So from the offseason additions and deletions to the draft, give me your general overview of what he's been able to do in such a short amount of time. So you can never have too much shooting in the NBA. That's I right. always I always say that the three-point shot or the use of the three-point shot has been the single most important development in the league, certainly over the last 20 years. Mm-hmm. That combined with the fact that you have a player like Ben Simmons who doesn't shoot a great deal but mm-hmm. sees the floor as well as anybody in the league and functions well when he has the space and he's surrounded by shooters. And certainly that can be said of Joel Embiid. So clearly they needed to do that. Uh, to some extent, they were able to do that. And Danny Green, who mm-hmm. has been good and not as good as you would like during his career, uh, they did so with, um, with Del Curry, who is clearly one of the best shooters in the NBA. And I think in a large measure, they've been able to um, at least uh, approach solving some of those issues. Now, you, you go into the lab and you hope that Shake Milton, Matisse Theibel, mm-hmm. uh, to some extent Tobias Harris, can improve upon last season. And now you have a reasonably good amount of, of shooting. Um, I, it's going to be interesting to see what Doc Rivers does. And I don't mean to get ahead of you here. Yep. But, um, you know, he's got to institute his system. He's been a p- big pick and roll guy through his career. Uh, the Sixers, I think, were next to last in the NBA in the amount of pick-and-rolls run per game that was in the mm-hmm. league last year. Mm-hmm. So, you know, while we're all excited about the pieces that are in place, there's a lot that has to happen between now and then, and a lot that has to happen with very little time between seasons. Mm-hmm. So while I am optimistic, I am realistic to, to say that uh, still a lot has to happen for things to fall in place. You just mentioned Glenn Doc Rivers. I, I covered him when he was in Marquette. I was working for CBS out of my hometown, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And when you look at his overall body of work as a player, more importantly, as a coach having won a title with the 76ers, was he the perfect piece to bring in here 
to coach this team, not just the immediate future, but maybe the long-term future? Yes. Mm -hmm. First of all, you're dealing with a future Hall of Famer. Mm -hmm. He is, I want to say, he's just outside of the top 10 all-time now in NBA coaching victories, not to mention the fact that he had a very good NBA career. He is a proven winner. He won a title with the Celtics back in 2008. Mm -hmm. And I think that he has the kind of persona and gravitas to say to a young player like Joel Embiid or a young player like Ben Simmons who need to be galvanized into leadership roles, here is someone whose program I can buy into. And they will say that uh, as soon as uh, somebody like that is hired. Because players talk to one another. They know the coaches who can coach. He clearly, meaning Glenn Rivers, Doc Rivers Mm -hmm. has the reputation of being one of the better coaches in the NBA. And I think also when you consider his outlook as it relates to humanity, uh, Black Lives Matter, uh, these are all um, characteristics or aspects of his personality that players can grab onto and feel like, you know what, this is a guy that I want to go out and I want to fight for. So uh, all those things considered, uh, Doc Rivers is the man and the Sixers were wise to go out and get him as quickly as they did. How much history do you have with him? Do you know him well or just in passing all these years? You know, Derek, from covering the NFL as long as you have, that um, you become a face in the Mm -hmm. NFL. So when you go to Washington, you will begin to see, whether it's team personnel or writers or that sort of thing, people who you associate with the Washington football team or New York or wherever it is that you go. Uh, it's the same thing with the NBA. So uh, we know each other from that perspective. I okay. would always go to his pregame news conferences, that sort of thing. Uh, I may have been in his office once to speak with him. I quite frankly don't remember. But uh, coaches know the broadcasters, generally speaking, and certainly uh, we know of uh, the other coaches and, and what they're like and, and um, you know, f- relatively from afar, but you kind of know that. Um, I, I've always had the long running thing about calling him Glenn Rivers instead of Doc, and I know that that's there gotten you back go. to him. Yep. And of course, we we settled that uh, in two ways. One, uh, he was gracious enough the first time I interviewed him after he was hired as the Sixers head coach. I gave him my perspective on the fact that there's only one Doc in Philadelphia. And yep. He said, "Well, you know what? That's okay. Uh, you can call me Glenn." And then uh, there was Dr. J the great Dr. J himself, who came forward and said, you know what, you can be known as Doc as well. So um, we kind of settled it in two different ways. And um, given the fact that um, Doc Rivers was so gracious to me and given the fact that uh, Dr. J has given his blessing, we will call him Doc Rivers. All right. So um, when you look at where Doc Rivers has been and where he hopefully will take this team, let's take a step back for a moment. Where did it go wrong for Brett Brown? One of the things that happened, which he couldn't help, was the injury to Ben Simmons. Mm-hmm. That was critical. And what it did was it, it literally eviscerated the Sixers team defense because, as you can see, Ben Simmons now an all-team defensive player. Uh, it's not just stuff that we say on TV. He is now known throughout the league as a very good defensive player. Mm-hmm. And your chief playmaker as well and you're putting uh, a guy like Shake Milton, a guy mm-hmm. who really hadn't played 
long quality minutes to that point in charge of your team's offense, number one. Number two, the Sixers became very predictable because once they didn't have Simmons to spread the ball around, they would force feed Joel Embiid. And while Joel was able to get his numbers, it clearly became detrimental to other guys. For example, uh, Tobias Harris, who I do hope that uh, Doc Rivers, through his previous experience coaching him with the Clippers, will be able to bring out the best in him, which, of Mm -hmm. course, is going to be critical. But uh, that was another thing. Uh, And then the the Celtics just turned out to be a matchup problem. They were unable to uh, deal with the likes of Jason Tatum, uh, Jalen Brown, uh, certainly Kemba Walker to an extent, uh, guys who are uh, very good off the dribble. Uh, The Sixers found themselves uh, unable to deal with that. Now, uh, with Ben Simmons returning and a guy like Danny Green, who historically has become a good defensive Mm -hmm. player, maybe they'll be able to solve some of that as well. So, uh, but then, you know, let's go back to the regular season where while on paper you can understand the acquisition of a guy like Al Horford, it clearly turned out to uh, not be as good as Elton Brand had hoped. I think the hope was that Horford would be able to operate from the high post and give uh, Joel Embiid uh, some uh, maneuvering room down low, that he was a good enough three-point shooter to be able to stretch the defense but when you consider the uh, starting lineup that included Horford and Simmons and Embiid, it turned out to be uh, one of the lesser starting lineups in the NBA. So, uh, and, and then you get re- residual effects from that, right. uh, reverberations right. where, you know, it affects team chemistry. It affects them on the defensive end. They weren't not nearly as good. And again, you know, and this is going to be critical for Doc Rivers if he could somehow find a way to keep Joel Embiid on the floor more. Uh, when you, the Sixers are missing Embiid, statistically speaking, analytically speaking, especially on the defensive end, mm-hmm. uh, it has turned out to be not so good for the Sixers. So I think all those things combine to, uh, you know, limit uh, Brett Brown's effectiveness. But I will say this about Brett Brown. For seven years, he did what the Sixers needed him to do, yep. and that was to get them through the process years. And, oh, by the way, he was four bounces away from getting them to the conference finals a couple of years ago. So. Uh, yeah, so gratitude to Brett Brown. He did the job, and now uh, the Sixers are obviously going in a different direction. So Maury has gone on record saying that Embiid and Simmons, uh, he plans on having him them here for quite some time. So with that said, if they are the, the building block uh, for this organization, what do those two individually, collectively need to do to make this team a serious, more serious contender? One of the things that I would like to see is a leadership role. And when you say leadership, that means different things to different people. I often go back to Greg Popovich, yep. mm-hmm. the Hall of Fame coach of the Spurs many times over and all the titles he won with San Antonio. Uh, he didn't win any of those titles without Tim Duncan. And that's not to say that it was strictly because of Duncan's ability as a player. I would like to believe it was uh, Duncan's ability as a leader. So Mm -hmm. what do I mean by that? Uh, One of the things that has always resonated with me, and Larry Brown tried to get Allen Iverson to buy into this, was that Greg Popovich could always make an example of Tim Duncan, whether it was criticizing him in a practice or yelling at him or doing whatever it is that Greg Popovich does as a coach. He could do it to the 15th man, and he could do it to his best man, which was Tim Duncan. Mm. Uh, Duncan was uh, 
to my knowledge, and, I, and I'll have his career stats in front of me, was always on the floor. Um, he was always in there at practice doing whatever it was that he could do. And these are things that, uh, you know, they always say it's what you can do behind closed doors that will, will make you a, a very good player or help your team to be a success. Uh, Joel and Ben Simmons have to be able to do those kinds of things. Uh, there's no NBA coach who can have a locker room without uh, his best players by right. his side right. reinforcing that program. So uh, I would look to Embiid and Simmons to do that. For Embiid, it, it's, it's what we've talked about in years past, the ability to stay on the floor, to stay healthy, and to, uh, to be in top-notch condition. Uh, and for Ben Simmons, uh, one of the things that's always talked about, which is obvious, is he at least has to be a representative shooter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and we always point to Giannis Antetokounmpo, who isn't a great three-point shooter and isn't necessarily a very good middle-distance shooter, mm-hmm. but he is good enough that teams have to at least show some respect for it. So uh, that, in a nutshell, I think, is what those two have to do in order – for the Sixers to take the next step forward. So they bring in Dwight Howard. Could he be a mentor to a Joel Embiid? Could he be that guy to help him elevate his game? First of all, from an experience standpoint, Mm -hmm. the answer to that is why not? Mm -hmm. He's been around the block that much more. He's gotten to play with LeBron James. What did he learn from him? We'll only see as time begins to unfold. Um, you would like to think that he could challenge him in practice. And, oh, by the way, with the expectation that Embiid does miss some time, right. is he able to, in, in um, conjunction with a guy like Tony Bradley, who really hasn't played that much in his career, can they two-head their way along with some uh, oompa-loompa lineups, as yeah. my old broadcast partner Steve Mix used to say, uh, make their way when Embiid is not able to play? Uh, you know, that remains to be seen. Uh, Howard has had back surgery. He's had a number of other medical issues and he's getting up there in years. And as we all know, your body begins to break down. So could he play 25 minutes when Embiid is not in the lineup and do it, Mm -hmm. um, you know, two or three games in a row? I don't know. Uh, We're going to have to find out, but clearly the Sixers have placed their faith in him and hopefully he'll be able to, um, take us into the way back machine on occasion and uh, do some of the things that he's capable or he showed certainly in years past that he was capable of doing. Not only bringing in Dwight Howard, but by also bringing in a Danny Green. I mean, these two guys are, are fresh off an NBA championship. And, and Zoo, as you know as well as I do, a lot of times players receive messages better from other players than they do from a coaching perspective. I, I'm hoping that these two can show not just Simmons and Embiid, but other guys who've who've not been to the uh, the pinnacle of their profession, um, what it takes to to become a champion. Certain little things that you're not doing right now, but if we do these things, we can get closer to that ring. That's a really good point, and you would ask me where it went wrong for Brett Brown, and this isn't to say that the Sixers should be second guessed and not re-signing him. Yeah. But uh, not having a guy like J.J. Redick, mm-hmm. I think um, he's a guy who provided some of the things that you are talking about. Mm-hmm. So uh, J.J. Redick, while he did do it on the floor, um, did a number of things on the floor. But uh, what I mean, for example, is his pregame 
routine, which was absolutely exhausting, yeah. or the way he practiced, or the way he took care of his body, or the way you know he said, uh, you know, no thanks, guys, not tonight. I got to get my rest. I would like to think that that resonates uh, for some players, and I would hope that um, you know Danny Green, uh, Dwight Howard, whatever it is that they learned from mm-hmm. winning an NBA title, from having a long NBA career. Uh, they will be able to uh, impart that on some of the younger players and uh, hopefully it will have some sort of a positive effect. Um, Any holes on this roster that you can see right now? I am a little bit concerned about, um, again, Joel Embiid and how many games he's going to play and what's going to happen in his absence. The team really doesn't have a bona fide backup point guard. Right. I, I would guess that's going to uh, probably shake down to Shake Milton a little bit. Uh, maybe, um, you know, I said, I said Del Curry before, I apologize, but, yeah. you know, Steph's brother yeah. and, and show that, that he, could, he could play a little bit of backup point guard. Um, so that's one concern there as well. One overall concern that I do have is what is the Sixers' identity going to be at the end of games? Yep. Uh, I think they've shown uh, in today's NBA that uh, when you have a guy in the low post who can be double teamed by today's athletes, meaning Joel Embiid, that that is not necessarily something that's going to work. So, um, you know, that's something that they're going to have to identify. That's going to be Mm -hmm. up to uh, Doc Rivers and his coaching staff. So uh, that's not really a hole in the roster per se, but since Jimmy Butler departed, mm-hmm. it's an area of the game that I think uh, the Sixers need to address. You have called so many games in your illustrious career, 25 years behind the mic for the 76ers. Give me a few of your most memorable moments as a Sixers broadcaster. I always say that the most memorable game for me yeah. was you'd have to go back to 1999. So 98, 99 was the lockout year. Uh, the teams only played 50 games. It was a sprint to the finish. Mm-hmm. And the Sixers hadn't been in the playoffs in the previous eight years. They not only made the playoffs, but as a six seed, they played the Orlando magic, the three seed, and they were able to split the first two games of the Magic on their home floor. So they came back to Philly. It was the first ever playoff game at Wells Fargo Center. And the place was absolutely um, bonkers. Mm. So uh, I I just remember people filtering into the building. The teams came out to warm up at 20 minutes before tip-off, as they normally do. And everybody in the place rose and – you know, it's an exaggeration, of course, but I don't think anybody sat down from that point until the end of the game. Uh, Iverson upped it three notches. He was all over the floor. In fact, he set an NBA record that game that still stands. That's uh, 10 steals in an NBA playoff game. Uh, I, I remember uh, Matt Geiger in front of the Orlando bench mixing it up with and almost getting into a fight with the late great Hall of Fame coach Chuck Daly. I mean, it was, it was a wild scene. The Sixers ended up winning the game, and I, I, I just have such fond memories of the whole event being um, uh, more than just a game. 
Mm-hmm. It was it was a, a watershed moment for a franchise that for the previous eight years had had really had some dark times, uh, and it was beginning of showing that Allen Iverson could could win. And then, of course, a couple of years later, that that essentially that same team uh, went to the NBA Finals, and um, I, I, I'd like to think a lot of it started with that game that night. So, what's your one favorite season, and why? The 2001 season. Okay. Uh, they started out 10 and 0. They uh, eventually went to I want to say 44 and 17. Yeah. When they made the Dikembe Mutombo deal, and they went 15 and 14 the rest of the way. And I just remember the reaction of uh, Sixer Nation was something that, quite frankly, I'm not sure I've ever seen since. Certainly not from Sixer fans. Um, there were these flags that were, um, I guess, marketed and sold to Sixers fans, and everybody got into it, Derek. And I want to mm. say every, literally, literally every other car on the road had these flags that you would attach to either side of your roof. And this is what May and June looked like on mm. Delaware Valley roadways, were cars that were sporting these flags. Then you had a team that, uh, quite frankly, uh, really embodied the spirit of the city. So they were clearly blue collar. The way the game was played then, you were able to be a lot more physical. Yep. This team was a tremendous defensive team. And it was clearly Allen Iverson and four other defensive-oriented players that ended up going to the finals. And as they went, they continued to battle their way through the postseason in spite of Eric Snow having a broken foot. Mm-hmm. Uh, George Lynch later broke his foot and could not play. And, um, you know, they were able to fill in for him. And Jumaine Jones uh, was plucked by Larry Brown to play for George Lynch and somehow uh, was making three-pointers and, and doing things that uh, a young player shouldn't be expected to do. And then, of course, they, they won that game one against the Lakers uh, at Staples Center in the finals where the Lakers had not lost a playoff game to that point. And uh, after that game, it seemed like all things were possible. Sixers didn't win another game for the rest of the series, but for that season, mm-hmm. two seven-game series, one with Toronto, one with Milwaukee, and the, uh, the opening of the finals with the win at L.A. Uh, were, were just – it, it was just an unbelievable ride and something I'll never forget. The guy you just mentioned, Allen Iverson, will forever be a legend um, in this region. Give me some of your favorite Allen Iverson stories, if you could. Allen, of course, we all know about the practice rant and, yeah. and that sort of thing. But when it came to a game, uh, this was his release on life. This is what made him feel special. This is what made him feel whole. This is what fulfilled his purpose uh, of being a professional athlete is getting the opportunity to be on that stage and play. And it didn't matter if there were 20,000 people in the gym or 20 people in the gym. So uh, a lot of what I remember from Alan is him being on the floor and arguing with medical personnel Mm-hmm. Uh, about whether or not he should be playing. And, and it, you know, he didn't want to hear anything but thumbs up, let's go. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so uh, a story that uh, I relate with uh, now our, one of our trainers, Kevin Johnson, this was later in Allen's tenure with the Sixers, was when he broke his thumb. 
And uh, Iverson was particularly upset because it was going to keep him off the floor. And I think there was a game coming up that he really wanted to play and darn it if he wasn't going to be able to play that game. Yeah. So I remember the story, and this is more of a Kevin Johnson story, I think, than an Allen Iverson story, but I'll tell it anyway. Um, Kevin Johnson, um, when Allen got the news that he had uh, a fractured thumb in his shooting hand, that uh, Kevin Johnson was going to design something so that he could play and protect his thumb at the same time. So literally, Kevin Johnson was up all night, the head athletic trainer, designing something for Allen Iverson's thumb. And he, he wore it in to shoot around, and it seemed to be okay. And he wore it in the game that night, and he missed his first five shots. And on his way down the floor after missing that fifth shot, he took this thing off of his thumb and flung it into the crowd. And said, so that's it. I, I, I can't even be bothered with that. So, again, it's more of a Kevin Johnson story. Here's yeah. a guy who gave up a night's sleep to, you know, design something for Allen Iverson. And the competitor, I guess, that Iverson was, he was going to try this thing. And after missing his first five shots, he flung it into the crowd and he, he played the rest of the way without it. For as long as you called his career, did it always amaze you that here was this little skinny, uh, little skinny six-foot guy who was just so fearless among the trees in the NBA. No matter how much he got banged around, he kept coming back. You, you, it was like that weeble wobble. You could knock him down, but you couldn't keep him down. When you think about his build and you think about the way the game was played then, it was a lot more exactly. physical than it, right, than it is now. Um, that's one thing. But it was his express intent to drive into the lane, we used to call it playing among the trees, mm -hmm. and do what he needed to do to draw the contact and get to the line. Allen driving into the lane accomplished any one of a number of things. First of all, it sucked in the defense and he was able to dish to a teammate who presumably had the opportunity to score. He also, by doing that, because the defense was attracted to him and big men were always coming over to help, it created a ton of scoring opportunities for guys like Tyrone Hill and George Lynch when they crashed the offensive boards. Mm -hmm. Because now the big guy was committed to Iverson, and that would free these guys up to, to get misses. Uh, and then, of course, there was Iverson's own opportunity to score and to get to the line, which he did uh, double-figure time seemingly every game. Um, playing for the contact was his mentality. He he was an unbelievable high school football player. And yep. basically what that was, was that, you know, him playing quarterback and getting him into space so that he could do his thing and elude guys and, and get touchdowns. Um, and, and the same principle held here in that he had the ball in his hands and he would go out there and play for the contact and do what he had to do to get things done from a basketball sense. So um, the fact that he did it, the fact that he did it the way he did it, and the fact that he played miraculously as long as he did um, is an unbelievable testament to him. I will say this, because he played the way that he did and he flung his body into harm's way the way he did, probably um, you know, may have cost him some years on the back end that when uh, he, he was finally in decline as a player, it was uh, fairly precipitous, I would mm -hmm. say. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, it, that ended that. But we will, I'm confident in saying that we will never see anyone who played at his size with the mentality that he played with in Allen Iverson. You know, there were a lot of times, and I've been here 20, 
three-plus years. There were a lot of times I tuned into a 76ers broadcast to hear the golden tones of Mark Zumoff more than, than watch the game at times. And I have to ask you this. Why does Mark Zumoff not sit courtside at Sixers games? I mean, you have that right. You paid your dues. You are Mark Zumoff. Why are you not courtside, man? I'll say this, Derek. First of all, in our game, it is a trend. Uh, just about all the radio guys now are somewhere off the court. So that could be in the stands or in an upper press box or that sort of thing. And slowly but surely, that is becoming the norm in our league. Mm. And, and I get it. Uh, these, these are seats. These are courtside seats. These are four courtside seats. And the opportunity to see what I think are the world's greatest athletes on the wood um, commands a premium. So um, I don't think it's the NBA necessarily saying to me, I'm not important or I didn't earn the right to be there. They are saying, listen, whether it's football or hockey or baseball, those guys are in a press box. And for the NBA, where we need to maximize revenue, um, we're going to ask you to give up those seats and, and sit in a different place. I will just tell you that as I enter my 27th year, mm -hmm. I'm just happy to be there. And mm -hmm. um, I, the fact that I'm in the building and that I'm paid to be there is something that I'll always be grateful for. I knew you would give me a humble answer. I, I would expect nothing less. But do these people, these decision makers not know who Mark Zumoff is, who you are, what you've done, the roads you have paved to get to where you are, man? Well, you know what? I, I actually think that they do. And quite honestly, um, they, they treat me with a great amount of yeah. uh, respect. Um, I am accorded all the rights and privileges. And um, to me, Derek, the privilege is just being there and right. getting paid to be there. And whatever form or fashion that takes, that's, that's fine with me. I don't, I don't think that I'm I'm different than anybody else. You know, when we heard this rumor, I was like, what? There's no way this happened. I, I got to, hey, me and you, we're just talking here. Did Eric Snow really fall asleep during a broadcast? No, he didn't. Um, <laughs> and, and, I'm, and I'm happy you, I'm happy you brought that up. So um, this was just a case of a couple of guys right before the All-Star break. We were in Houston. And, you know, we knew that we had five or six days coming up. We were all feeling pretty good. I was getting ready to, you know, uh, fly to Florida and meet my family for a little R&R. So we were all kind of feeling good. And um, I think what Eric did right before we started the third quarter was he literally was just kind of composing himself for a second. Yep. And, um, you know, they started to bounce the ball. And as they said that, I just kiddingly said to him, um, you know, are you meditating? <laughs> and I was joking and we looked at each other and laughed and he said, no, I'm sleeping. And we kind of <laughs> smiled at each other and that was it. Um, so that's really the truth. I realized yeah. that urban legend tells a completely different story. And listen, you know, I, I could take out an ad in the New York times and, and explain away exactly what happened sure. just the way I did with you. But I, you know, people are going to believe what they're going to believe. And, True. you know, if, if they want to think that Eric Snow fell asleep, Go ahead and believe it. There's nothing I can do about that. Now, as entrenched as you are in basketball, you also have Zuma Productions, 
which is helping to groom young aspiring journalists. What What is the message that you constantly, because I'm looking at a lot of these young kids coming out now, a lot of them, they want to be a shtick. They feel that's the way to get known and get recognized. And I try to tell them, you know what? Just develop your craft. You'll find out what your strengths and weaknesses are. You don't have to be loud. You don't have to have a circus act around you. What is your message to young aspiring journalists? First, that's excellent advice. Yeah. Just finding whatever it is that your voice is. Yeah. If you are naturally loud and outlandish, I guess maybe that's going to be you. So you be you if you find yourself with a more conservative approach and that's what you're comfortable in and most effective in terms of communicating your message, well, then you need to assume that persona because otherwise you're going to be fake and you're going to come off just like that. Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of coaching them, listen, there are, there are many different things that you can talk about, the value of networking, knowing people in our business, um, the value of being versatile, that uh, newspaper people are, write, are uh, broadcasting now, that broadcasters are writing now, uh, shooting your own stuff, editing your own stuff, the ability to turn on a dime and deliver a message uh, via whatever medium is presented to you. Right. I say to, I say to people all the time that um, uh, media has converged now and you are no longer a specialist. You're not just a play-by-play -play guy. You're not just mm -hmm. an anchor. You're a sports content provider. And whether it's through social media or through streaming or through linear or through the printed word, you're expected to provide the message. All this said, the one thing that I do tell people, young people, that's the most important thing is you have to believe in yourself. Mm. Because this is a really competitive business. There's going to be a lot of rejection. You're going to face um, people with egos. You're going to face uh, circumstances where people get positions, even though they may not be, be perceived as being as good as you are, right. uh, you're going to have to deal with all this stuff and figure out a way to have it roll off your back and continue to do your thing. And that's not always easy. So believing yourself in yourself and surrounding yourself with positive people, I think, are keys for young people uh, going forward in our business. All right, final question to you, because I made you a promise that I wouldn't take up too much of your time, and you've been gracious enough to sit there. 20 plus years behind a mic for the 76ers. You're 65 now. How much longer do you want to do it? I think as long as I get the um, same vibe as I do when I walk into an arena, uh, clearly it's a lot different now because there's no crowd. In fact, we haven't been at, even allowed to walk into an arena since last March 11th. Yeah. But, uh, you know, there's a certain innocence that I still maintain of the kid growing up in Northeast Philly that when I see the, the, the colors of the uniforms, when I hear the squeaking of the sneaks and the bouncing of the ball and the sound of the ball going through the net, um, I, I hearken back to the kid growing up in Northeast Philly who uh, first began to hear those sounds when my father took me to a Sixers game when I was eight years old. Hmm. And uh, I do believe that we all, as much as we like to claim that we're professionals and, you know, we have a certain stature, as you had alluded to earlier, and, yeah. you know, we've accomplished certain things and won awards. Um, the thing that, that drives us is the fact that we have the privilege mm -hmm. of getting to uh, smell the smells yep. and see the sights and, and touch the things 
that we all romanticized about when we were little kids and we get to do it and, and be paid to do it. So as long as I get the spine tingle from all that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. um, I'll continue to exercise the privilege of being the TV voice of the Sixers. Well, I hope you continue to do it for at least another couple of decades if you're, you're able to do it. Ladies and gentlemen, he is the one, the only, Mark Zoom off, and I can't thank him enough. And this is a broad appreciate the love, brother. Yes, so this brings us to the conclusion of another edition of Gun on One, the podcast brought to you by Patterson Square Garden. For my colleague, and more importantly, my friend Mark Zoom off, I'm Derek Gunn. And as I tell you guys each and every week, stay blessed out there, everybody. But more importantly, be a blessing to each and every person you encounter. Until next time, so long, everybody. of D-Gun Enterprises in Patterson Square Garden. Elvin Shabazian and Wes Pendleton are the executive producers on behalf of Patterson Square Garden. Lead producer is Derek Gunn. Associate producer is John McNeil. Sound design, mixing, and mastering by Elvin Shabazian. Original music by Weatherman. For more information about the podcast, visit gunonone.com. And please, don't forget to subscribe and give us a positive rating if you're feeling the show. Thank you. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts, so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.